0: Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. i excited. If you are new with us, my name is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. And if you look around, like we're a we're a diverse community, and I have loved every bit of it. Um, those who are watching us online, they know uh, we're we're in week three of a series all about testimonies. Te- testify is what we've called it. And so Jeremy, uh, as well as five other individuals, have. Just said, they stood up and said, I'll, I'll share my testimony of what God has done. So if you've been with us each week, there's been one added to the sermon. And here we are in week three. If you'll let me do the honors, I just sort of want to dive right into Scripture. It's not normally how I do it. Uh, sometimes I talk a little bit, I set up the scene. But I feel like Jeremy has set the scene for us this morning. We're talking about belief, that, uh, salvation through faith alone, That we get his grace, not by works, by actions, by deeds, but by faith in him, by belief. And so that's where we're literally diving into this morning, and Jeremy's story was so fitting with it. Um, I I will encourage you, though, if God speaks to you and you haven't been a part of this, this series at all, uh, we have every one of our messages online, uh, either on Facebook or on our Glory podcast, if you just type in Glory Church uh, in the Apple podcast thing, or on our website. So you can find it and join in. I mean, they've been groundworking, but this morning... We're going to dive right into Romans. Uh, I don't know if you like Romans. Uh, I adore Romans. In fact, one of my uh, my wife and I's closest mentors uh, and friends who really, our marriage is the way it is because of him. Uh, he passed away this summer in a car wreck with his son, but Romans was his favorite book. Like, the man bled Romans. Like, he could quote it in and out, like, he... It is, if you've ever read it, one of the hardest books at times to understand, but also one of the richest and deepest, and that you can find so much freedom. So we're going to dive in to Romans 10, and I will make sense of it. But it is a lot, all right? I will let you know already uh, right at the beginning that Paul is the author, and he's writing it to none other than the Romans, uh, the Church of Rome, and it's a widely Jewish audience. Like, these guys are are high-class Jews who are in their church, and uh, there is now, if you know anything, about sort of what Jesus came and brought There's these Gentiles, these Greeks who have fallen in love with the person Jesus, but are not welcome in church because they're not Jews. Uh, And so there's this hard thing going on. And Paul, if uh, you know the man, he loved Gentiles. He loved opening the door of the gospel, which he believed is what Jesus did and died for. And so he's writing to the Jews to challenge them on a few things when it comes to the rest of the world. And so right here in chapter 10, verse one, we're gonna start in. Uh, He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer for the Gentiles is that they may be saved. He says, I can testify that those people, the, they, the Gentiles, they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. In other words, they want hope. They have the zeal for something spiritual. They have this desire in their heart for something greater than themselves, but it's not enlightened for they're ignorant of the righteousness that actually comes from God. And so they try to establish it on their own. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. And then he gets a little theological for Christ. Jesus was the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Today we are talking about salvation through faith, right? Through belief, and belief only. That, uh, belief that Jesus can heal. Some of you, you don't believe that he can heal you. Belief that Jesus can deliver, that he can redeem, that he can change, that he can take 19 felonies and make a name, uh, his name glorified in it. He can do these things. And this is all based on the power of belief, faith, that faith can move mountains. And so if you remember, these are God-fearing Jews that Paul's writing to who have a, a little be- become a little bit uppity when it comes to the nasty ways of Gentiles, all their pagan ways with all their sacrifices. And, and they, they had this hardened heart toward them. And so he keeps going, and he's about to quote Moses And he does so to sort of remind them, hey, the God that you know all about in Torah that you've learned from childhood, that God is the same God that we're trying to talk about right now. And uh, it's the same message. In fact, he quotes Moses and says, hey, Moses writes concerning that righteousness that comes from the law that Jesus came to overcome. He talks about it and says that the person who does those things, the law, he will live by the law. And in fact, it implies he will die by the law. Have you ever met people who um, all they do is they work for the work that they work for? And it's just like, who are they? They're, they're All you know is the things that they want to accomplish in life. You live by the law. You die by the law. You die by your work. You die by it. There has to be more. It's not helping. And so Moses continues, and he says, but the righteous that come from faith, they say, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, this part's confusing. It's essentially saying, if you have righteousness that comes, goodness that comes from belief, you are not saying, I have to climb the highest mountain and in, in be better to find Christ. That's, that's, that's by works, this faith is saying, I'm not going to plunge myself in the, into the depths with so, uh, self-sacrifice and, and, and all these disciplines to find Christ in death and then bring him up. No, it's by faith. You see, there's always a go-to in us to climb the mountain of success in order to find Jesus there to bring him for everyone to see. And Paul's like, No. I'm quoting Moses, Paul would say, you don't have to find God in the highest mountain or plunge deep down. No, he's here. He's with us. He's here. And that's what Moses said right before they went off into a battle, and that's what, uh, that is what Paul is saying right now. And he says, so what does the heart of faith say? And he continues. He says that the word is near you. That's what the heart of faith says. On your lips and in your heart. Because if you confess, and some of you really know this section, Ms. Rhonda probably has preached it before. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, right, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it comes from pro- professing, confessing. You've heard that, right? And he continues For the one believes with their heart, and they're made right, they're justified. And the one confesses with their mouth, and then they're saved. And the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. And there is no distinction, Paul says, between Jew and Greek, for the Lord is the same Lord of all. And he's generous to all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Now, what I say all of that because we're going to pause, what you and me overlook is how completely jaw-dropping everything Paul just said was to the church of Rome. Like, those were fighting words. And you're, like, scanning it, like, how? He literally just punched them in the gut. He gave them a huge thing to chew on, and then what's about to follow is him literally talking against the rant in their heads. Because what he just said was, there is no distinction between Jews Jews. And Greeks, In other words, you people who've lived your whole life following the Torah and your parents knew God's word and they have the history of, of, of making a way and how God made the, the wet dry and they, they made it and the Pharaoh said no and then the people said let me go and all that. That's your story. And now he's saying the Gentiles who don't have it are just as loved as us who have it. Those were fighting words. You mean the one who is right living is just as good as the one who has served eight years in the Missouri penitentiary, right? The one who has had right living is just as loved as the one who served eight years in prison? No, that's not right, they would say, right? This anger in, in their heart. The Gentiles, they have nothing about the chosen people. The Romans would get angry, this is what was going on, and we just like zoom past it because we're like, "Yeah, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. If you confess with your mouth." And we miss this in this intense dialogue. No, Paul. They don't know God like we do. How can He love them? They don't know God like we do. How can He love them? No, God. We, Paul. We have lived righteously. They have served idols upon idols upon idols, how can God love them? And it's this powerful thing that God loves all ethnicities the same, all backgrounds, all walks, and that the Lord is the same Lord of all who generously gives to all who call on him, all who call on him. And then he says a charge to the Romans, to the Jews, to the future Gentiles who would come to know Jesus, to us. And it's a little direct. It's a charge that Jesus said that Paul now eloquently says, and he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you want to know something? This might be a little humbling. might be a little convicting. When I read this whole thing, You probably, just like me, got really excited about the personal significance of this sentence. I have called on the name of the Lord, and I have been saved. Maybe in your mind you're like thankful that you've confessed Jesus and that you were changed. Because we have a natural tendency when we read this charge to say amen. I've confessed, and the Lord has saved me. We, we hear the story, like the, the word of everyone who believes will not be put to shame, and we're like, amen, I am not going to be put to shame. But you know what the reason that Paul said this? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It's not for the one who's already called on the name of the Lord who is found. It's for everyone else who is yet to call on the name of the Lord. That's why Paul's writing this right now. And it's a little dicey because we, like the Jews, like to just say, if I call on Jesus, I'm saved. Instead of, no, everyone who calls on him, they will be saved. It's for everyone. Not for those who've already been saved, but for everyone who hasn't yet called on the name of the Lord. It's a little confusing when we get into this and we make it all about us. But then he works backwards from this belief. And this is where we're going to sit. He says, but how are they to call on the one in whom they've never believed? And how are the Gentiles, how are the people in your office place going to believe in the one that they've never heard? And then how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him. And then who's going to proclaim him unless they're sent? And there's this draw-dropping, mic drop that, that Paul just gives where he's like, hey, Jews, everyone who calls will be saved, but they can't call on the one that they don't know, and they can't know him without hearing him. Have you guys ever seen the TikTok videos? (laughs) I know we're like, what? Have you ever seen the TikTok videos uh, where it has this like little uh, statement and then or a a Siri voice saying, tell me you're a white girl without telling me you're a white girl. Have you ever seen that? And then like someone sits a, uh, a pumpkin spice latte on a counter and it's just that quick. Or another one, like tell me you're a parent of toddlers without telling me you're a parent of toddlers. And then you see someone turn around and all on their back are stickers. I know we just like took a tight turn, but this metaphor has been eaten in me for over a month now. I have come to believe fully that the enemy of our God, Satan, is playing a constant game with the church with his little Satan voice, not a Siri voice, but a Satan voice saying, hey, tell me you're a Christian without telling me you're a Christian. And then the scenes that play or you see some God-fearing people passing out clothing on a sidewalk. You see some people opening up and having a, what we do, having a food dispensary and, and a, a free, uh, free items of clothing every week. You see people holding people. You see people greeting people. You see people hugging when they're crying. You see visibly a nice smile. You see someone being kind at work. And all of these things are good, Unless you proclaim him, how are they going to believe? Tell me you're a Christian without telling me you're a Christian. It is a con from the enemy to make us pat our backs and to say that we're doing good. But me not telling someone I'm a Christian verbally is the worst thing I can do for their soul. Because my actions don't save them. And I think it's this common thing that we we get stuck in. Have you ever heard the phrase, maybe you grew up in it, like your life is the only Bible that some people will read. Have you ever heard that? And they only talk about the way you act. Can I tell you, like, if my life is the only Bible that some people read, people are going to continue to go to hell. (laughs) Like... (laughs) If my life alone is the only Bible that some people are going to read, they're in trouble because they're going to see, honestly, I got an awesome marriage. And from the outside, they're going to see that Kate and I love each other. And they're going to see that we fight, but somehow we end good. And they're going to think in their mind, if I had that, it'll be good. And they're going to see my life, and they're going to see the things that I gain in my home, and they're going to see how we try to do things, you know, like financially savvy, but we still like things pretty. And so they're going to see our house, and then they're going to think, if I just have that, then I'll be good. They're going to see how kind I am. They're going to see the way that I try to parent my kids, and I don't do very good, but I try to parent them, and they're going to say, if I just treat my kids like that, then I'll be good. You see, I would lead them to hell Because the only way to salvation is through the confession, the belief in Jesus, not in Greg and what Greg can do, in Jesus. We have to draw lines. If you've picked it up yet, you cannot tell someone that you're a Christian without telling them that you're a Christian. You can't. It's a game, a lure. And the Jews, they needed to hear this, that the gospel was for everyone, Because what they were going to start doing was requiring the Gentiles to dip their hands on the little purification jar before they come in. They're going to start requiring the Gentiles to do the acts that they do. If they just look like me, then they'll get saved. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You don't just tell them what to do. You got to speak to them the Christ to believe in. You got to speak to them. They, They will not know by what you do. They will know by what you say and do, That's right. by what you say and you do. And we have to realize this, that we struggle with the same thing. We still believe, even though we're like, we try to say we're not phariseutical, even though we try to say we're not legalistic, we still somehow believe that our actions will equal salvation. We think if I love them enough, they will see Christ. If I climb up the mountain of my love for them and I reach the depths of all the things that I can do for them, then Christ will be seen. Or if I submit and I sacrifice and I just keep put making things like, and I, I surrender everything and I keep being submissive, they're gonna see my, my, my Savior through it. But can I just tell you, non-believers cannot see Jesus Without you drawing the line for them? Like, someone who can't be- doesn't believe in God is not going to take your good works and praise God for them. They're going to see your good works and praise you for them. They're going to see your life and praise you for them. And maybe some of you, this phrase comes to mind. Like, I literally almost just said this to verbatim. Do you know Jesus says, let your light shine before all men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven? And you're like, well, pastor, that sounds like it's countering exactly what you just said, that they'll see your good deeds and glorify. But it's let your light shine and they'll see your good deeds. Light shining is not good deeds. Light shining is always talked about truth. Always in scripture, the word of God is a light. The Word of God expels the darkness. You want to know how we let our light shine? We live by truth and speak truth and we proclaim a Christ who came and died and made people holy and righteous again. We, we, we shine light by speaking and then our good deeds will connect to that which we spoke and they will glorify the Father in heaven. It's not deeds that will lead to their salvation. It's me speaking Jesus. It's me teaching how he's wrecked me. Me connecting the the lines of like my marriage was not always and is not as good as you think it is, but it was not always good. Jesus has wrecked us. And then I point to Jesus. My parenting, whoo, it is rough. But Jesus has given me patience. And I point to him. You see, until we draw the line, people will think it ends with us. And that's not going to lead anyone to heaven. We draw the line. Paul says it this way, always be prepared to give an account for the reason that you have hope. In other words, you should always be ready to give a reason to why you have hope and someone else doesn't, why you have joy and they don't, why you seem to have life even though death is happening all around, why you have peace amidst trials. Well, those of you who are struggling right now, uh, family members who are going to watch us later and death happened in your family, your family is going to look at you and wonder how you have hope. You don't just say, because I have hope. You give them the reason. The confession, it's God. I don't know. I feel like I'm wrecked inside, but somehow I know God is enough. He's here. That draws the line. That's where people can see God through us and in us. Let your light shine. For why, right, like Paul literally says this, verse 14, how are they going to call on the name of the Lord if they've not believed? And how are they going to believe If they have never heard? And how are they gonna hear without someone proclaiming him? And how are they gonna proclaim him, you, unless you're sent? I'll tell you, the enemy does not want you to believe that you're sent. Did you know that in your apartment complex, you're sent? Did you know that on your neighborhoods, you're sent? Did you know that in your jobs, you're sent? And it's interesting because when Jesus sent the 12, the 72, when he sent the disciples later, he told them to go into the neighborhoods, the cities, and to cast out demons, to to heal the sick, to do the good things, but to connect it with the gospel. Proclaim the kingdom of God is near. Repent. I will do the good things, but honestly, that's not going to save you. Let me do them and show you the reason why I can provide them. It's Jesus. You're sent. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus leaves and says, hey, by the way, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why if a church isn't growing, it's a dying church. That's why a church, if they're not growing, if they're not advancing the kingdom, there are a whole lot of people who are praising God for being a part of the everyone, but not realizing that they're commissioned to the everyone. We're commissioned to the everyone. And then Paul ends verse 15 by quoting this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And then it just ends, section. How beautiful are the feet of of those who bring good news. I said I wasn't going to say this, but I will. Some of your, your feet are just stinky. Because you don't bring good news. You think your good actions will do enough. And it's not stinky because you're not cleaned. You're just not speaking it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That means when you walk, people see the ripple effect of God's truth. Because you speak it and you walk it. Some of you are like, I just want to like, I just want to be an example to people. Like I want my love to be an example. I want my kindness to be an example. That's good. But without your truth attached to your actions, it's just going to lead people to behavioral changes instead of belief changes. Behavioral changes will not save you. They're just going to put a little band-aid over the, the shame that one feels as they keep trying to do better. But we, we lead by example and truth. We speak it. We talk it. We, I used to tell this to my students, uh, according to phrase when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for almost seven years, and I used to tell them all the time that we have the privilege of bringing holy conversations into a world full of broken ones. And I just always said that, hey, like I need you to know, you're gonna walk into the locker room and there's gonna be some broken conversations. You're gonna be like opening your phone and on Snapchat and there's gonna be some broken conversations. You're gonna walk into the world, you're gonna walk into that class and already there's gonna be broken conversations. You're gonna go home and there's gonna be broken conversations. You're gonna go to your workplace and already in their thoughts, Are broken conversations with themselves. That's all around. The enemy hasn't stopped speaking. So, why does the people of God do it? Why do we stop speaking? We have the opportunity to bring holy words, changes by truth into a world full of broken ones. We have the privilege. The enemy is relentless in speaking news but we got to bring it too. Because what we bring is life-changing. What we bring is hope spreading. And so I don't know where, where you are in life, but I just want to call and challenge everyone to just close your eyes. We're about to worship an end song. And all I want right now, if you're a believer in the room, I'm going to pray that God gives you some faces. Some faces already. Some faces in your mind of people that you walk by daily that you have tried to just love, (laughs) but have never yet spoken that you're a believer and that's why you can love. God, give them faces. Right now, someone just popped into some of your faces and you're like, but they're a Christian. Why did I think of their name? Some of you, you're like, I don't really want to be that person for that one. (laughs) But God, I pray that faces come into our minds. People that we've been sent to. Jesus, forgive me for every time that I've wanted to just do a good thing instead of speaking a good word. But God, if I really want them to leave the kingdom of darkness... I'm going to have to speak of the king of light. So God, I pray that we can be testifiers. Send us out. Forgive us for every time we've made it about ourselves. We hand it over to you. We praise you. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.